Welcome. It's Jeff Mayhew. It's John Beatty. It's politics and parenting where we talk about politics, but we talk about it differently. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. I'm getting that really like hardcore focus on my intro now. Don't, can you can you can you feel it? <laughs> I can't because I'm not looking at the screen. So uh, <laughs> I'll just look at the post because I'm trying to do the same. Gotta look at the camera. <laughs> So uh, how was week? Oh, it was good. It's it's um. I just feel like life is getting busy now that the, there's a new school year, not new school year. See, I'm too tired. Um, there's a new year, and uh, I'm trying all sorts of new resolutions and things. Like one of them is to catch back up on trying to reach all of Shakespeare in a year. And there's actually like a little plan where you can read like 20, 30 minutes a day. Um, and that's like one of the the interesting things that's come to me as I've get, gotten into my older age. Is it like just doing something little by little, you know, you can accomplish a whole lot in a year. And um, so, uh, you know, if, if you're interested, you can join me in this, I think. So just some guy randomly posted it on Twitter. He like broke it down. And so I'm in the trying to finish up the Taming of the Shrew and then we'll get into Henry V and stuff. And so uh, right. how are you doing? I'm good. You know, I actually read I read through a bunch of Shakespeare last year. Uh, uh, Julia, Oliver, myself, and my wife we actually read Shakespeare, uh, Romeo and Juliet together. We watched the mm, Baz, uh, Baz Lurtham uh, version on TV, which I think is fantastic. Um, I actually I tried to get us to read it as a family and act it out, but um, it was hard. Uh, you yeah. know, getting. I mean, the the kids they have grown a lot in a year, so they might be ready to do that now. But last year they just weren't. So I was like, it's okay. We'll come back to this when you're older. <laughs> what I'm actually doing is there's these open source recordings. It's a website called LibriVox, where they there is a like, just a bunch of people got together and did a whole read through with kind of. I mean, they're all doing their own voices and stuff, but it's actually really helpful to to listen to it and read at the same time because like the the language can be a little confusing at times mm -hmm. and there's also there's like word puns and then there's um in terms of the, how it sounds and then the puns in terms of how you read it so shakespeare's like a really cool in that you have to listen to it and or watch the play and also read it in order to like really get the whole thing so i'm killing two birds with one stone by listening to an audio recording as i read along with it and, and that's made it so you know maybe get your kids uh you know they, they might like that. Yeah, we'll have to try that next time. Um, so for our first topic today, John, I was wondering, what should the individual citizen be focusing on? Should they be focusing on the 2024 presidential election? Or they should they be focusing on their state uh, and local elections, their delegates, their state senators, and then their house representative. Who, where, where should our focus? Because there's there's so much going on in the world, we don't have enough time to pay attention to everything. W where should I focus? Well, maybe like the whole Twitter cutting off third party clients. That might be a good place to start. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, very much kidding. I think. Well, in Virginia, we've got local elections, and uh, Virginia politics is always fun because there's an election every year. And I think for Virginia in particular, um, your your local elections are incredibly important because Virginia is a state where all the power is held by like, you know, it's held from the people and the people's representatives in the Virginia legislature. So it, interestingly, all laws come from the Virginia legislature and anything you're like your locality does is actually those that permission has been granted by the locality. So for a long time, there were no local elections. It was basically you voted for your delegates and your state Senate and the governor. And those people appointed everyone that was local. And it's not till like the past, you know, the most recent century where there's been a, like actual local elections. Um, and he, like even the, the school board in Loudoun County, like that was appointed up until I think the end of the nineties, just by the board of supervisors. So there's like a tradition in, in Virginia where um, you cede all the power to the people above you. And then you kind of hope that you can claw stuff back. So in Virginia, your delegate and your state legislature races are going to be incredibly important for how, you know, what <clears throat> direction this shape takes in the next year, much more so than who's ever uh, running for uh, president at this moment. And funny enough, I was just like stumbling on the FEC website because I was doing research for something else. And I, it's impossible to find stuff. So I was clicking around and I came up with this list of presidential candidates and there's like 12 people already running for president i don't know if you know this i, I um, <laughs> so i mean so, that's insane <laughs> yeah 
but I, like it's i think like i mean your local elections now matter because the localities dictate stuff but in virginia and in, in, in particular your delegates and your state senators are so so important in terms of like where the state goes and in terms of of what is the priority you know what the governor uh, can do yeah i mean I, I agree i mean obviously you guys know and i wrote a piece about this uh last week with the amash thing is we spend way too much time focusing on the, the executive and and I've, I've been trying to teach people this or explain to people this that is not our that's not our power. Like our power is in the House of Representatives when you're talking about the federal government. We'd be a lot better suited focusing on our job, our responsibility, which is that that house making sure we elect, you know, people that know how to govern into that body as opposed to spending our time volunteering, knocking doors, donating our money, wearing their swag that run for president. Like if you're an individual citizen, you make under $100,000 a year and you're sending your money to a presidential campaign, you're getting scammed flat out yeah. because they're not going to listen to you. They're never going to miss the, uh, hear you or or see you. And they really, right. it's not to say that they don't care. It's just that they're so far away from you. They can't possibly understand you well enough to care. And um, well, you're, you're one voice of 330 million. Like, you know, how do you get heard in that sea of Exactly. And and you mentioned it in uh, talking about Shakespeare and how if you break something really large down into something small, it makes it easier to make change or to accomplish something. That's what our system does, right? So you've got the, the big power, the executive, but then you've got the house power and it's so much smaller and it's so, so much closer to you. And if you just, if, if we individual citizens in our districts focused on electing better representatives there, they would be able to check the power of the executive. They'd be able to legislate and, you know, pay our debts off, hopefully, <laughs> manage our money appropriately. I mean, because ultimately, it's that's our job. We're all mad at the president all the time for all the stuff that they do or don't do. But in reality, it it's not their responsibility. <laughs> it's well, ours. And going back to like what power is ceded to you, like all that power that the legislate that the executive has has been given to that branch by the legislature. Like you know, the fact that we spend gobs and gobs of money, like that's the legislature with the purse, just kind of dumping the gold coins out and not giving, not giving uh, any attention to where that money gets spent other than sort of, well, well, we don't want to spend a billion dollars here, a billion dollars there, but like, you know, it, it's, it adds up quickly, but it's the legislature's responsibility ultimately for fixing this problem with spending for what they're, what the executive does for having the oversight role. Right. Absolutely. And I saw um, McCarthy. McCarthy won the the speakership, right? Uh, so I, I saw him speaking last week, and he was giving a very impassioned speech on the floor, talking about how this body was no longer going to allow the executive to just run rampant, and they were going to check the power of the executive. And look, that's the type of stuff I want to hear from my house speaker. However... I remember not too long ago when a Republican was in office and the House basically just did whatever that Republican wanted them to mm -hmm. do. And um, that's not how it works. You don't get to just check. He's not what he's saying is the House is going to check the executive's power. But what he really means is the Republican majority is going to check the Democrats' power, right? He's not really talking about us. He's not really talking about his body of power. He's talking about his party. And he's using words that makes people believe he actually cares about them, but he doesn't. And it's it's kind of frightening, right, <laughs> to, a, to a degree. <laughs> it's unfortunate. I mean, you wish that... Uh... Well, you, I mean, like you wish that the, the, we cared about the people rather than the party. But, yeah. Um... No. And, 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 you know, I've talked about it before. When you line all that power up on one side, it tilts everything off the edge. And, and, you know, if we really want a functioning government, we have to remember how it works. We have, as people, mm -hmm. we need to give our focus to the right place. We need to hold ourselves accountable. You know, we can complain about Trump taking classified documents to Mar-a-Lago. We can complain about Joe Biden taking classified documents to Delaware. But but how are we supposed to stop them if we're not electing quality people into the House that actually can check that power? Because guess what? They're both going to get away with whatever they did because there's no yes. real oversight. 
Right. And there's no, I mean, there's sort of the politics of, well, I don't want to go against my guy. So the, at this point, basically both sides are going to call truce and say like, yeah, it might be politically advantageous that we just kind of let this thing slide and we'll go, we'll go big after the next guy. Then we'll find some scapegoat and um, uh, literally put him out in the desert and not well, think know, of talk about him. You know, I've been watching a lot. I haven't, I don't watch a lot of videos, but I've watched some videos of Biden speak recently and it's, oh God, it's, it's kind of embarrassing, you know, because he's he's he can't speak a sentence coherently at sometimes. Um, and I was thinking to myself, I wonder if the Democrats found these documents on their own, right? I wonder if they put it out because they're like, we got to get this guy off the ballot, you know. And and this is the easiest way because now we can call truce with Trump. Biden will just he'll be the nice guy and and decide not to run because he's under investigation or whatever. And then you know they'll put some. I don't know, some progressive up, maybe a moderate. I don't know where the Democratic Party thinks they're going or where they want to go. Uh, I just know that Biden isn't it. <laughs> I I wouldn't be so conspiratorial. I think um, what, I, what I would imagine is that uh, there's probably lots of classified documents floating around. And um, I think if you kind of uh, went through many vice presidents or presidents, you'd find stuff. I think they found it. And I think it's one of those things you just sort of, you're given an opportunity and it's like, what do you do with that opportunity? So I think at this point, people realize, well, maybe this is a way to also get rid of Trump at the same time. Because you got to think of the, the whole context for this is like, there are people who just like absolutely cannot live with Donald Trump and they will do whatever they can. And that's what they were doing with the Mar-a-Lago raid and, and trying to go after him with the confidential documents. And now they're stuck because their guy has it. And so now, you know, like, how do you do both sides? So in this sense, it wouldn't surprise me if they realize, well, in order to get after Trump, we kind of have to sacrifice Joe Biden. But I don't know if it's conspiratorial. I think maybe it's just like, you know, you you find one fault and now you're more looking for the faults and now you you find them more just because of the fact that there's so many. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's certainly plausible. Um, however, I mean, I've read a lot of these books and uh, guess what? People think that way they act that way. They did stuff like this, you know, like it's it's not crazy to think that somebody inside the democratic power sphere is like, let's find a way to get both of them off the ticket, you know? Cause like I said, if, if they both have committed the same crime and they're both under investigation and the Democrats all line up against Biden not to run, mm -hmm. then the Republicans right. will kind of be forced to line up against Trump. And then, you know, you kind of push both of them off the ticket. Um, I don't necessarily know that's a bad thing. I mean, they're both, in my opinion, way over their, uh, you know, age limit that they should be running for office, which we don't have in our system. But, you know, they're, but, you know, who knows? Mandatory I, retirement. Yeah. I, I'm not saying it happened that way. I'm just saying it could have happened that way. And maybe maybe it's not the worst thing uh, that we get him off the ballot. I um, wouldn't I wouldn't disagree that it's not the worst thing, you know. But again, like it gets <laughs> like like things happen and it's it's how you respond and how you handle them. Um, rather than the whole, whole conspiracy of planting confidential information from uh, a vice presidency. Oh, I'm not I'm not saying they planted it. I don't think they went that far. I'm saying that this is a standard thing that happens regularly with people in power. Oh, yeah, okay. They accidentally misplace classified information because people are flawed and mistakes happen and they just chose to share this information with us. Yes. To put him out, not like I, I don't think that anybody is fabricating stuff inside that I mean I don't really. I, I think that people are better than that. I don't think they're fabricating things like that. I just think they're choosing when to tell us things. That's what I think kind of happens. Yeah, I could see that. And I could see one person deciding to say that and then everyone kind of looking at the opportunity and being like, oh, I yeah. could see if we keep pushing this, this would be good for us. So yes, yes. yeah, I could. That's I what could I think. <laughs> yeah. um, so John, I was just curious, you know, it's been a kind of a slow news week. Um, and I was just wondering, what do you cook with at home? Actually, we have an induction stovetop and it is phenomenal. So, you know, I, I know there's a lot of fight about this. Um, I've only had a gas stove once and I really liked it. Uh, but I've been stuck mostly with like the radiant electric heat, which is awful. Yeah. But since we got an induction oven, I must, or induction stovetop, it's pretty slick. Like you can boil water really, really quickly. So it is electric, but it's like a fancy kind of electric that's, that's like science-y. I, so what do you I, use, Jeff? I actually have induction uh, heat as well. So when we moved our house, 
Um, I loved cooking with gas, but the problem with the gas was I had young twins who had their hands up everywhere and Vanessa mm-hmm. and I spent a lot of time cooking. Um, so I was like, I learned about this induction stuff. I studied it and it sounded really cool. It looked really easy to keep clean. I gave it a shot. I like it. I, I honestly, if I could go back, I would go back to gas and heartbeat. Um, but it seems like that might, that my opportunity to do that might be running out. I know this is a big you know, it's almost a big joke in the Republican Party right now about the whole gas thing, come and take it and all that nonsense. But I think they're kind of focusing on the wrong thing. You know, I, I mentioned it on our podcast a few weeks ago about how I was at a networking meeting and there was an HVAC guy talking about how if you had electric heating uh, or if you had gas heating and you wanted to put a new electric system in your house, you could get a massive credit um, from the government to do so. Um, and that you know, that piqued my interest because I was like, wait, our government is incentivizing people changing their, you know, um, what is it? Uh, power. HVAC systems. Yeah. yeah. Changing it away from gas. And I go, that's going to, it's going to consolidate, literally consolidate power mm-hmm. right to mm-hmm. the electric grid, which is eventually will probably overload it. I mean, haven't we seen places in other parts of the country where the, the, the grids have been overloaded? It's gone down. Yeah. Yeah. And it's vulnerable. I mean, there's, I keep seeing these stories about like people attacking substations, but and it's sort of like the weird, not really fringe Twitter, but just like you see it like mentioned in Twitter and then like there's nothing else about it. So you're kind of like interesting, but I I wish that there's some journalists who do more digging on it. But like, I think it's well known it's, that our power grid is very susceptible to issues uh, where you could just take down a, a power line or something. Um, actually, in Maryland, uh, what is it, a, a month ago, two months ago, there was a small biplane that crashed into one of the power lines. Do you remember this? And I took remember, out all yeah. the power in, in northern Montgomery County for, I think, a day or at least yeah. 12 hours. So it's incredibly fragile. Um, and uh, gas is one of those nice things where it's it's a uh, it's redundant. It's a redundant source of heat. Um, and... <clears throat> I will, I will say like I've got a, a little electric car, but it has a gas engine in the back that can power the battery. And it's 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 nice to be on electric because it's a, it's a fun drivetrain, but it's also really nice to have gas when your battery's dead and you really need to keep going and you can just go to a gas station and put some liquid in and it keeps you going. So I think having different sy- systems is, is going to be more resilient in the end. That being said, I know the big push is to go to solar and in wind, and some of the kind of the theory behind that push, and and we're not right, we're not there at all. But is that if you've got solar panels in everyone's houses, you have your own kind of redundancy because you're not relying on the grid, because yeah. every house is kind of their own power generator. Um, yeah, and I, I was actually reading about the solar, I think in Elon's uh, biography here, but. From what I can tell, we're really far away from having mm-hmm. that type of solar technology. Now, you know, progress can be made very fast, right? But once they yeah. once they break that and they make the progress, then yes, let's move ourselves. Um, but I don't necessarily know if it's a good idea, you know, for the I guess what I, my problem is is why is the government incentivizing it? You know, I uh, I typed in the chat GPT. No, I love ChatGPT. And I asked ChatGPT to write an essay about um, how much fossil fuels the earth has left or how many years worth of fossil fuels. Now, ChatGPT gave me an answer that frightened me. And I have no idea if it's accurate or not because I tried to fact check it, but I just couldn't figure it out. In fact, um, ChatGPT told me that uh, the earth only has 50 years worth of fossil fuels left at the current consumption rate. I could live that long. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, so, I mean, if if the United States government is saying, hey, guys, we have to cut down, down on fossil fuels because we're just going to run out sooner than later, I would get behind this, right? But if they just told me the truth, you know, uh, telling us to to move well, it. Just because... They do kind of say that, but it's very much, much more alarmist. I mean, it's, it's, and it's got kind of a, an ideological tinge to it rather than like, we should probably try to, you know, I mean, like there's sort of, there's many people have, have many different starts on this. So like you will hear that we should move off of fossil fuels because at some point they could run out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think people have been saying, have been making apocalyptic predictions for since the beginning of time. So I think it's, you know, you kind of have to have some evidence backing it up where there literally is like a gas meter on earth that says like, oh, we're, we're at a quarter tank 
uh, or an eighth of a tank and we're on the lights just turned on like we got to do something but we don't really know that and like that's part of the the mystery of the world is that there's lots of unknowns i mean people were saying that about food so we're going to run out of food 50 years ago and here we are we've got we've never had as much food as ever um based on innovations we've we've got in terms of large-scale farming um which some right. people like some people don't yeah and and again that, and that's kind of my philosophy with like how you solve big problems going forward is like you don't run away from the problems you actually lean into them and you lean into them with human ingenuity right more people mm -hmm. equals greater opportunity for success you know a strong mm -hmm. a strong educated populace will solve pretty much any problem that you come across i believe that if we were a more populated country with a better education system we'd already be on mars right um but i definitely Probably. think that we could will be there sooner than later especially with the growing technologies and as far as you know our our energy grid and how we sustain all this stuff Definitely, you know, we have to work on diversifying. I, I don't think we should consolidate power. I don't think it's a good idea to say, hey, everybody move to this one source of energy, especially when that source of energy is very dependent on another foreign nation, right? Like China, whether it's for solar or for batteries, we get a lot of the rare earth minerals over there. So you're seeding a lot of our power across the mm -hmm. sea. And that's, you know, that's not good for our country. We need to think, we need to think of things locally nationally and 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 grow from there what can we do to sustain ourselves um we should be focusing on exporting energy as opposed to importing energy and we fig should figure out how to do it profitably um and renewably um nuclear i think there was a we talked about it a few weeks ago to the the nuclear fission that that happened that was a that's the type of stuff that we need to be focusing on mm -hmm. yeah i think that's one problem with globalization is it kind of can hide big problems like uh for example a lot of our e-waste gets shipped to China. A lot of our our recycling gets shipped to China, and then it just sits in a landfill. So, if we had, if we were keeping that here, and we saw the 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 results of of our actions, either we might stop our actions, change our actions, or we might come up with a way to deal with those with those situations. And but because it's kind of hidden, we don't see the problem. We can't ask the right questions, and we can't actually get to solving those. Um, and it, you know, like it, it's true with the with the gas stoves. If it was honestly like, look. This is because in 50 years, according to ChatGPT, we're going to run out of gas. That's when we <laughs> got to start getting rid of gas stoves. That's when we need federal subsidies to kind of encourage people to do electric. You know, there's a risk to the power grid, but we might be able to fix that with solar. Like that would be truly honest and transparency, is, which is such a bad buzzword. But like that would it would fit that note. But instead, you get kind of junk science. Is like, well, if we put a little plastic tent around the, the gas stove and you sit in the plastic tent and use the gas burn at the same time. The get the air quality deteriorates and it's kind of like no no are you kidding me of course it's like that it's the same as like don't run your car in a garage like that's how you die of carbon monoxide poisoning don't open don't have open flames in a house without proper ventilation like kitchens are designed to, to ventilate properly and they can handle gas stoves so like you're just you're you're gaslighting people and then you lose credibility and at this point like the government in general has so little credibility that it's amazing that they keep losing more and more <laughs> and I think like it's you know it's just being honest about that is what's what's important. Yeah. Um I mean I think one of my biggest pet peeves is when I see a story like this and then I see people that are either A running for office or B in mm -hmm. office make jokes about it. Right? Like we can make jokes about it. We have no real responsibility. But if you're running for office and you post something about like come and take it or be ungovernable or whatever like that it's like you you're you have power you understand that they're going to come after you right like you're the you're the one in charge why are yeah. you riling people up that's my question all the time why do they rile people up uh, for votes and money for fundraising no it's for, for fundraising 100 percent. that's why they do it um speaking you know we mentioned this guy's name a few times already elon musk yeah what is he doing over there, Twitter? You know, he has, him and his alkalite suspended my account this week. What the heck, man? <laughs> and worse than that, they got rid of the third-party clients, which is like how I used it. So <laughs> I, um, I'm, uh, I'm kind of, you know, I think once people get in the spotlight, they tend to lose their sheen because you see all the imperfections. But as I've been thinking about it, it's not just Twitter. I think it's also, if you look at like SpaceX and you look at Tesla, um, there's this guy 
Horace Dedu, uh, who I followed a long time ago and, and read a lot of his stuff. And, you know, he kind of talks from this like Clayton Christensen, Harvard MBA school of the dis- dis- idea of disruption, where someone comes in, changes the game because they come up with some new technology that fundamentally alters how things work. And I remember this guy, Horace Dedu, listening to him talk about cars and stuff. He was always very careful to say, like, I don't think Tesla is like a disruptive industry. And I think I see that now because Tesla has like had a, what, a 10, 15 year advantage in terms of electric cars. But at this point, everyone's coming out with their own electric car. And so there's no real moat behind it. There's no nothing that really differentiates a Tesla electric car from a Ford electric car. I just or, or, you know, and. And okay, and and what would you say? So uh, the the significant advantage that that buying a Tesla over top of any other electric car is the uh, the grid to uh, the power station grid because Tesla invested a lot of money upfront to make sure they were charging stations all across the United States. So there's more charging stations for your Tesla than any other electric car. So if you want to travel from state to state or long distances and you want an electric car, your best bet is to buy a Tesla. Plus. Over time, my my what I think is going to happen is a lot of those other car companies are going to start to use Tesla's um, power uh, batteries and stuff so they can use Tesla's charging station. It's kind of the same concept of like uh, the McDonald's thing where the guy, Ray Kroc, like bought McDonald's out because he owned all the land underneath of it. Same thing. You know, um, they they built a whole new industry, essentially, um, away from the, uh, Detroit and as time, as everybody else switches to, to battery, they're going to find it's going to become easier to use Teslas, and they'll be able to be more profitable that way than building their own power stations. So that that's just my opinion. Maybe, but I, I, I would agree with you as of today, like if you want to go long distances, buy a Tesla because of the supercharging network. But those stations are popping up all over the place now. I mean, it depends on the area, but like there's one in, uh, there's one on 15 that I was passing now. Um, is it 15? Maybe not, but like near where I worked in Potomac, there's at least three or four like fast charging stations that have come up recently. So I think just over in a short amount of time, you're going to have enough space station. So it was, it was, um, innovative and in that it kind of kickstarted and made electric cars cool. It was innovative and in that it just, it realized like the problem is the distribution of electricity and getting you, you know, allowing you to drive from long distances and sort of not have to change your, your lifestyle because, and it, to be honest like, it's because we're a car country. Like if you, there is no train, I mean, there are trains, but it's just not feasible to take the train um, to go long distances. So we're kind of, we're stuck with cars, especially if you're a big family, you know, flying is incredibly expensive and it keeps getting more expensive. So it was, it's innovative and in that it fixes that, but it's not really like disruptive in terms of it changes how we travel. It's just, we've changed the, the motor out and uh you know it it kind of pushed us along in terms of in getting us close getting us further away from the uh, 50 year chat gpt apocalypse <laughs> um, but i and i think but i think the same with like rockets and stuff like spacex is incredibly cool and it's incredibly cool like i saw this video i think you showed it showed me where it's like the two boosters are coming that's down awesome. that's amazing yeah like how cool is that but it's still the same fundamental problem of like you gotta you gotta put a lot of thrust to get out off the ground, um, so you're 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 getting cost efficiencies because you can reuse those really expensive rockets, but you still haven't changed the fundamental nature of like it's incredibly expensive to move uh, things from the ground into space. So yeah. I, I feel like you know you you know we gotta invent like what are the the high, supersonic or hypersonic? No, I don't know. I'm not a very much. Uh, I, don't quote me on this, but you know you gotta invent some kind of different propulsion technology. That allows you to get so much stuff off the ground, and you know what if that is like a like almost like a jumbo jet or something that's specially equipped, where it just takes off at a, at a regular runway, and it can go really fast, and then as it gets out of the atmosphere, like that's it, like that's a totally different way to thinking about it, and that is not going to be as efficient initially as a rocket, um, because maybe it doesn't can't take as big of a payload and stuff, but you could imagine if you had instead of instead of a couple of these jumbo Falcons, you had like a fleet of of seven. 97s or something you know whatever the next Boeing thing is that can take that like that would be interesting kind of innovation and then you fix the problem of like I've gotten stuff off of earth out of gravity then I can send it to Mars because I can build my little like I can build onto my space station colonize the moon you know and then move from there so anyway that's 
I like where you're going with this. You're talking about all the stuff I want to do before I die. And that's why Elon Musk is a genius, but he's not that much of a genius. But. Well, and so let's let's go back to Elon. Let's go back to Twitter um, a little bit. I mentioned my account was was suspended. Um, so I got the notification. I wrote an article about it. If you want to check it out, I can't remember what the name of it was. I think it was my Twitter suspension, right? <laughs> so I got the notification Sunday night. I sent an email, you know, to uh, I don't know repeal or whatever. Support, support at Twitter.com. You know. Yeah. And and I was basically, I got no response for almost 24 hours. Um, when I did get a response, it was basically like, you broke these, you broke the rules. So we suspended your account. And I'm like, what rules? Um, finally, you know, my, on, I think Tuesday, um, my account was reinstated and I got an uh, email saying, these are the rules you broke. If you break them again, you won't get your account back, but we're giving it back to you this time. It wasn't worded like that, obviously, but Here's the thing that I have a problem with. I didn't break the rules they said I broke, right? They didn't prove that I broke the rules I said I broke. They didn't explain exactly what they mean by the rules that I broke. They just gave me mm-hmm. a link to their their rule book, right? And it's it's this problem that I think- Wait, our- that's it? That was just a link to the rule book and that's it? Yeah. I, um, I think I, I posted it in that article too. I put the rule book in there too. Um, you know, it's- it's a problem with authority, right? If you are the authority, it is your responsibility to communicate. That means you need to explain to the person that is your subordinate. In this case, the customer is the subordinate and the authority is the corporation. If the corporation isn't going to do their responsibility of communication, it's very difficult for the customer to understand what's going on. Of course, you're going to get suspended and kicked out and make the same mistake again if nobody bothered to tell you what the mistake was, right? Mm-hmm. And then on the second, on on another level, is how can they can how can they suspend you and tell you that you broke rules without proving it or or showing you any type of evidence at all? Um, I think they the rule that they said that I broke was the churning rule, where you like follow a whole bunch of people and like unfollow them, trying to gain like. Uh, and I can I can think to like one time where maybe this like the algorithm thought I was doing it. I was, uh, it was, I was signing up, um, I was like on Twitter and I was finding new people to follow and it gave me, oh, you follow this person. You probably like these people. And it's like a list of like 10 people and it has an option there. It says follow all. So I was like, cool. I like all those people. I'm going to follow them. And the reason I chose to follow people that day is because I don't really follow a lot of people. You know, I think I have 400 people that I follow now at that time I was probably in the 300s. And I was just kind of looking for new people to follow. A lot of people on there just mm-hmm. don't talk a lot. And I'm just looking to have conversations. So I'm like, follow. I want to read and understand these people. Um, and I did that maybe two times that day. Maybe that's what I did. But you know, in my opinion, I didn't break their rules. My intention was not to gain followers. My intention mm-hmm. was to follow new people, which is what I did. <laughs> maybe to make the service better and you know, interact with them more, help them sell ads. And- I don't know. I mean- and then, so I think I, I sent you a message this morning about um, something that has been going on on Twitter regularly since Elon took over, which is- Oh, the links don't work, right? Well, no, we'll see. It's not that. It's like, so today specifically, every time I went to go pick, uh, click on a picture that somebody had tweeted out, it linked me to the MSNBC article about the uh, transgender uh, beauty queen. It linked me out of Twitter to an article when I clicked on a picture that somebody else had posted. This happened three times. I posted it in our Madisonian leadership group and somebody from our group said it happened to them as well, which means it's probably on purpose, right? I mean, I can't imagine Maybe. it's not. <laughs> or I, I wouldn't surprise me if there's like, there are a lot of things that were going on behind the scenes and like in order to like filter out data and maybe it was that they, maybe they got hacked, you know? Well, this um, is not it, the first time it's happened to me. It's just the first time I decided to say something because the other times I was doubtful that I did what I thought I did. I was like, maybe maybe I didn't click on what I thought I clicked on. Maybe I'm just going crazy here. And it happened two or three times before. And finally today, it happened three times in a matter of minutes. And I'm like, this is no accident. And then I put it out and I got confirmed that it's happened to other people too. And I'm like, well, here we go, you know? <laughs> So I don't know how it's controlling us. Yeah. And then the other thing, I like some of the features that Elon has done. 
I think that they're good and they add value to the program. Um, I wish he would tweet less, you know, like if, again, if you're in a position of authority, you have a responsibility to communicate clearly, concisely, and, you know, be quiet otherwise, <laughs> you know? And then the other thing is I have noticed a rise of violent videos being shown on Twitter, um, mostly school fights, which, you know, as a parent, I don't want to watch, you know, I'm watching, you know, every day I scroll through Twitter, I'm seeing videos of teachers hitting kids, kids hitting teachers, kids beating up other kids. And I go, why is this on my timeline? None of these people I follow, they're all suggested. And it's like, oh, the algorithm. Why am I getting, I don't want to look at this, you know, and how do I get rid of it? How do I, how do I change my algorithm so I can get the content I want? Sounds like a question for ChatGPT. Oh, that is a good question. I'm going to, hey, ChatGPT, how do I change Twitter's algorithm? <laughs> Elon. No, like, I mean, like, that's the problem with algorithms is you you have no control over. You don't know. You don't know what levers are being pushed. You don't know what data is going into it. Um, and if it's really if it's really overt where it's showing you like teens fighting and you have no interest in that, like that's jarring. But a lot of these are, are really uh, intricately designed where it's just to kind of like push you in a certain direction where to get an engagement like that's the key metric is they want eyeballs they want the monthly active users um and if they can get juice those numbers through algorithmic views of showing you things that they that the algorithm thinks you might like like you know it can stick and that's what that's the whole thing with tiktok is it's so um well designed in terms of showing you videos that you like that uh, i've never gotten on tiktok because i know it would suck me in like you know people talk about they'll just sit on there for an hour and again, like in a certain sense, it's entertainment, but is it like, is it the right kind of entertainment or is it really just mindless and, and wasting your time? Yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I, I tried, I, I downloaded TikTok. I like, it, that is not how my brain functions. That constant movement of like jumping from one thing to the next, that drives me crazy. So like, that's never going to suck me in. I'm like, delete. I don't have the patience your impatience is pretty, you know, like I want a full story. I don't want a 30 second clip. I want to read a 700, a 700 page biography. That's what I want, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> there you go. Oh God. Sorry. My back is killing me. You know, I go from like being labor class where I'm on my feet all day long, working with my hands. And now I'm like reading and writing for the last two years and sitting in a chair and my body just doesn't know what to do with it. It's just in pain. I thought, I thought it was hard being like a labor person where I had to like do physical stuff. And now that I'm sitting down in a chair, I realize it's just as painful. <laughs> Knowledge work is dangerous. Yeah. My, my, I, I don't think we're meant to sit in chairs. I think we're meant to stand. I need to buy one of those standing desks. You just need to get an Apple Watch, and its algorithm will nag you for when to stand up. It's... I took my Apple Watch off two years ago, and it was the best thing I did because that was like the alerts. I was always like something would vibrate on my wrist, and my attention went there. And it's like I can't allow every person who has my phone number to take my attention from me. That's not mm -hmm. fair to me. It's not fair to my family, you know. So I took it off because I didn't have the self discipline not to look at it. So. I did the next best thing, <laughs> kind of like you and TikTok, right? Like understand your weakness and protect yourself from it. <laughs> yeah. Know thyself. Yeah. Very key. Know thyself. Yeah. That's a good one. I like that. Um, all right, John. Parenting. What's going on? I heard you uh, were helping out your child's uh, children's school. I mean, education is one of the best things we can do as parents for our children. I, I did. Um, I had a great time, actually. I volunteered at my twins' school. Um, I wrote an article about it. It's going to come out this week. Um, the teachers, you know, I'm lucky that my girls both have really great teachers who are focused on teaching, <laughs> which is great. Um, you don't always get that in school, unfortunately. And the staff at their elementary school does a really good job. A couple of things I noticed they're outnumbered. There are so many kids per classroom. I don't know how they do it. Um, the kids there are not very well behaved. Um, you know, especially when you have that many students to that many teachers, it's, it's probably difficult to manage all that behavior. I imagine, you know, between COVID and everything, these kids have been cooped up in the house. Um, it's caused a lot of issues in the schools. And I, th I think that's a problem. And then the other thing I noticed is their curriculum. And I, 
I've been talking about this for years now, is overloaded. overloaded. They're making the kids do too much. The teachers have to fill so much per day that the kids are yo-yoed back and forth from this subject to that subject. They're never given enough time to actually learn. Um, it basically just, it boils down to having the kids memorize information, complete it that day, and then those memories are fleeting. It goes out the door and then the learning is lost. Um, so those are a few things I noticed. I was I was happy, you know, like I, I mentioned before, good teachers, good staff. The people in the school are doing a great job. I just don't think that they have the right tools to be able to do their job well enough. And and that comes down to us as individual citizens holding that, that power structure of the education system accountable, being involved, volunteering, going to school board meetings, um, not just when there's a big scandal, but all the time. Like I said, the you know, focus on getting your child a seat in the classroom, not just a laptop. Focus on making sure your child is learning the fundamentals, not everything that somebody else chooses to teach your child. You know, that that's my opinion. Well, it's true. Like, th there's a lot of wasted time in, in the school day. Um, like, we took our kids and we're homeschooling right now for two of them. And they they get through what they're supposed to get through in like two hours. And that's mostly because they just drag their feet and are kind of un not really used to the homeschool thing. I, I mean, like, they probably could get a lot of it done an hour, an hour and a half. And that's what... A lot of extra reading because we're trying to get our one of our sons uh, up to speed. Um, so, like, there's not a whole lot that you have to do during the school day. And I think, like, having a lot of kids means it's not a great learning environment because it's very distracting. Um, I think the reason those classrooms are so over, not you know, got to choose your words carefully, are so full is because, like, it's expensive to build buildings and it's cheaper to just stuff the kids in a classroom and hire an extra aid. And so you get like your um, your fac teacher faculty ratios and stuff, and your teaching standards where it's going to be one student or one teacher for every twenty four students, and you can you know you can tweak those ratios and stuff. But that's just that's a lot simpler than f building enough space where you have pot potentially smaller classrooms and a smaller class size and a teacher that's able to give more direct attention. Um, like I almost want I it would be a huge uh, a lift, but I almost wonder what it would be like if we went back to that sort of new England uh, school in the cabin where like, you know, if you had every neighbor had like four or five different schools and you had like one teacher that was given like uh, 10 students, maybe like kindergarten through eighth grade and sort of everyone's working together. They're working on their own things. They've got their own independence time, but you've got this mechanism where the older students help the younger students. So it's not just the teacher that's responsible, but you're also learning kind of responsibility and going back to you, talking about having to memorize stuff and then never using it again. Like that's how you lose things. But if you have to go then and actually teach someone, you uh, reinforce that in your mind because so I don't know, it's just, not, it's a thought. And uh, you know, maybe when I'm uh dictator of the world or something, when we're dict co-dictators of the world, we'll I don't want to be do dictator of anything. I don't want that type of responsibility. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. But I, so it's funny because I, I have a very similar view of education. I think putting students of different ages and education levels all in one room and having the stronger teach the weaker or the, the older teach the younger would be a better way to put it, mm -hmm. um, is a very successful way to educate. Um, and I think that in, in my girls' classrooms, the teachers are already doing that to extent they have to because there's 30 yeah. kids in their classroom and there's only one of them. So they use the younger students to help or the, the more advanced students to help the ones behind because especially in kindergarten when you're talking about like, you know, my girls are six and some of the kids are five. That one year at that age level is huge like, difference. It's yeah. a huge difference. So again, having a big classroom with such varying education levels inside of it, um, the teachers are already use, utilizing that. Um, to an extent, but it could be done much better if it was actually thoughtful and organized and, and in a smaller environment, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Well, also having different age, ages and not just in the same grade, but at different grades, that would also, you know, unify that curriculum too, because everyone kind of has to learn similar things where it's, it's the fundamentals, reading, right. writing, math, you know, I think that would help focus it too, rather than getting to a far field and well, we want to kind of follow this topic du jour because that's what the consultants say is is trendy um, yeah. like i think that would also help kind of really focus the curriculum and make sure that it it is serving our children rather than uh, whatever the the 
It's not serving consultants. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I used, I almost used that same line in my article, which you haven't seen yet. I'm going to send it to you after this. But I, I was like, if we want our school systems to serve our, like that should be our objective. The, the school system should serve our children. And right mm-hmm. now it just serves itself. It's a, it's a perpetual mm-hmm. money machine. Um, they spend it hand over fist. One of the things I noticed is in, in the lunchroom. And talk about how everything is compacted and rushed. The kids are rushed back and forth. Lunch is like 30 minutes, I believe. By time, if you buy and you get through that line, you got like five, 10 minutes to eat, right? And for a kid mm-hmm. that wants to talk because they've been in their classroom all day, you know, they almost never finish their food. You should see how much food is getting thrown away in the trash cans in these schools. It's insane. I believe it. Yeah. They they give the kids way too much food. On my on my daughter's plate, they had the massive chicken nugget or massive chicken sandwich. They had French fries. They had oranges. They had pickles. They had, uh, I think, grapes. Like, the tray was completely full. She only has time to eat maybe a third of what it is. And then the rest of it goes in the trash can. And that goes for almost everybody in her class. And I know that um, my old delegate in our, I believe she's still my delegate, Danica Rome, she ran on this free lunch for schools where like the school system bought lunch for people. And it's like, you literally just threw our money in the trash can. Like there was already food enough in the schools for the people that didn't have it. And now you took more taxpayer money and you put more food on the plates and it just literally is going in the trash can because you, you don't give the kids enough time to be kids. You don't give them enough time to eat. You're just, you're trying to force them to learn all this stuff, which by the way, I saw some kids, some like five-year-olds walking around with equality shirts with a rainbow on it. And I go, why are we why are we wiring this at five years old do you understand what that is um and and Not at all. we're we're focusing on the wrong things like maybe instead of teaching your child about gender equality maybe we should be focusing on teaching your kid to read right and and maybe instead of you know making sure that we have so much food because everybody needs to be equal and eat maybe we should just give them time to eat the food that they already have yeah, and the, the thing with the free lunches too, like we had this the uh, during COVID, the U.S. Department of Agriculture was giving money to schools, and basically they were giving free lunches to everyone. But the cost for the food is is much less than the money that the USDA gives them. And then if you take USDA money, you're only allowed to have uh, three months in reserve or two months in reserve. I'm not sure the number, but like only a couple months of reserve. So you literally have to come up with ways to spend it. So like LCB has bought brand new pizza kitchens pizza ovens for all their kitchens because they had all this cash on hand that they had to spend because they were getting free lunches from the US government and because the cost of the food is much less than what it costs what the government pays them per meal. So not only is the food wasted, not only is it not the best quality because you got a it's a food service so it just that's inherently a different challenge and you have to uh you're not getting the best. Um but you're also like it's just like it's a, a wasting money at the top too because the the school districts have to spend all this extra that they get just because they they take this free lunch money. So that's gone now because the the pandemic's over. Depending on who you ask, but yeah. like that's just that's a part of it is is not just wasted food, but it's also the the wasted overhead for all that. Yeah, I I remember um, during the pandemic they were they were giving away food and um, to like families in need and like they would just have mm-hmm. we would get messages from our school and they would be like please come take it. Like we have so much of it and nobody's taking it. They ultimately, I think what happens is there's a very small problem, right? And then they just try it. They assume that that small problem affects everyone. So then they, mm-hmm. they're solving a problem that really doesn't exist or in, in by, in, by doing so they create a new problem, which is a waste in spending. Um, you know, and, and we talk about the federal government and the balloon budgets and you talk about the states and, and nobody's managing our money properly. Um, and that goes all the way back to elect better local leaders. <laughs> Which reminds me, John, do we have a meeting coming up on Saturday? We do have a meeting coming up to get on Saturday. Dude, Giuseppe's. Hey, Martin. Focus? It's America's founding on our history. Right? America's yeah. founding story. And, yeah, and, and what we're trying to do is, is share the information that we know so our community will be better equipped, uh, better equipped to elect better leaders. And then if anybody is looking to be a better leader or to be a leader in their community, 
We'll teach them how to do that too. We'll give them the opportunity. We'll say, hey, I know it's really expensive to run for office, but here are some ways that you can do it. And, and we can provide communication training. We can provide um, opportunities for education. Um, there's lots of things that we, we're looking at doing to better our community and get better local leaders in office. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So come on out, come to our website and you can register. MadisonianRepublicans.com. I've been doing all those videos this week. It gets repetitive, doesn't it? It's for the people. It's for the people. It's for the people. Um, all right. So I think that was a good show, right? That's how we end yes. our show. Say, was it a good show? And John always says yes, even though sometimes it can't possibly be yes. And I say I'm going to listen to it because I will listen to it. So, <laughs> And you should too, as I you are, because you listen to us. That's right. Um, again, everybody out there that is listening and who's reading our Substack, uh, thank you. Uh, the numbers have been growing. Uh, I think we had over 52 downloads on our podcast last week. That is great for one week. Um, I think we had almost 1,000 views to our Substack over the course of the week. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, um, everybody out there, for showing support. Um, remember, our first meeting, Madisonian Republicans, is this Saturday, January 21st, at Giuseppe's from 4 to 6 p.m. Please go to our website, madisonianrepublicans.com and RSVP. If you can't make this one, there are five other events already on the schedule. Go ahead and RSVP now. You, we, as citizens, need to make it a point to be heard again. This is your opportunity. Come out with us and be heard. And that's Giuseppe's in Haymarket, right? Just for the for Giuseppe's in Haymarket. Um, and we need to know how many of you are coming. A lot of you have text messaged me or emailed me and said, I'm going to be there. And that's great. I appreciate it. But please go RSVP so we can have a full list and be well prepared for when you show up. <laughs> we'll have a chair waiting for you. We will. A chair, a desk, a pen, a piece of paper to take notes. It'll be wonderful. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the end of our show. Remember to like, subscribe, share, comment, whatever you feel necessary. Get the word out there and try to be heard again. Uh, I'm, I'm stumbling over my ending today, John. What, what has happened to me? Peace and love. Yeah, there you go. Finish it off for me. <laughs> Peace and love, people. Peace and love. <laughs>